Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, the home of common sense and the one place where you will hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I'll never tire of saying it. I know you might say, he says that every day. Why does he say it every day? I say it every day because it's worth making sure that everybody who's coming to this show for the first time, and there are many of you every single day because we are growing faster than anything uh, you could imagine, faster than anything you could ever plant, faster than anything you could put in a bush, faster than anything uh, you could hold in your hands. Amazing what's going on. The reverberations from the tragedy in the English Channel are still rumbling on today as the French have seen fit to cancel a meeting with Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, because of a letter written by Boris Johnson seeking cooperation from Emmanuel Macron. I mean, talk about throwing your toys out of the pram. Sacre bleu. The French are apparently revolting. Oh, they're embarrassed. They don't like the fact that this letter's been made public, so now they've cancelled the meeting. I mean, what are they, ten? We're not coming round to play with your ball anymore. Really? Meanwhile, despite the deaths of 27 migrants in the Channel, another 50 arrived on our shores, seemingly oblivious to the dangers. It might well be, though, that that is a sign that a lot fewer people are going to now make the journey because they know that it actually could cost them an awful lot more than 3,000 quid. It could actually cost them their lives. This morning, we're joined by Baroness Claire Fox, and we'll get her view on the crisis in the Channel, the latest from the Brexit scenario, and how exactly we are going to safeguard our way of life with the latest news from South Africa, where someone has discovered a new variant of COVID. And you know what's going to happen now. You're going to hear all the usual doom mongers talking about how Christmas might have to be cancelled, Let's not overwhelm the NHS. Let's ensure that nobody comes here from South Africa or from any other place where there might be this variant, which is much more highly transmissible than the last variant. Funny that, isn't it? I'm not buying it right now, and I'm certainly not going to be concerned about it right now, and I'm certainly not going to listen uh, to some of the uh, warnings that people are putting out there, saying, oh, we must be very cautious, we must be very careful, we must be very concerned. I've been hearing that phrase again this morning. How concerned should we be? Well, how about we don't be concerned at all? Huh? 0344 499 Esther Cracker is here as well. We'll be asking her about the latest craze for calling out toxic masculinity. Benedict Cumberbatch was at it earlier on this week. Now uh, it turns out that the wise words of Nick Fletcher MP are doing the rounds. We're going to be hearing from him. Uh, he's been complaining about why every positive role model has been replaced by a woman. He's talking about the only decent role models left for men. They're all criminals. Tommy Shelby, the Cray brothers. <laughs> 
don't know what he's been watching. Meanwhile, it's Black Friday, but if you're hoping for any deliveries from Amazon, you might be out of luck because it turns out those morons from Extinction Rebellion have decided to block 15 different warehouses dispatching parcels to the great and the good of this country. Let us know what you're doing, what you're buying, and whether you've gone off the whole idea of Black Friday anyway. I mean, I don't care whether you can get 100 quid off a washing machine. You might. In which case, go ahead, knock yourself out. 0344-499-1000. Secretary of State Sanjeev Javid will be addressing the nation around about 11 o'clock with the latest from the NHS. Perhaps he will warn of it being overwhelmed by the new variant. I imagine I could probably write the speech for him now. Also, we'll be finding out why doctors are still threatening to go out on strike, why nativity plays are back in fashion, and what's going on out there in the big, wide world. Plus, because it's Friday, it's time for the Perrier Awards, and I'm asked to my brilliance in broadcasting. Uh, in the company of Yorkshire's finest, of course, 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. And just for the benefit of Dale Vince, because I know how much he loves to hear it, we are, of course, the fastest growing radio station on the planet. Sometimes I forget to mention that. Let's talk to Claire Fox very shortly. She is, of course, Baroness Fox of Buckley, non-affiliated peer, director of the Academy of Ideas. But before we do that, let's have a listen to what she had to say uh, on the subject of the migrants. This discussion comes the day after a tragedy of unspeakable horror. But this horrendous incident must not be used either to chill a frank national discussion reviewing all sides of the debate and all opinions. Why has this issue of record numbers crossing the channel by boat led to popular fury and frustration? It's not, as some assume, proof of widespread anti-immigrant sentiment. Let's note that for 99.9% of the British public, they have a track record of humane generosity in, for example, welcoming any number of Hong Kong citizens fleeing authoritarianism, and far many examples, as Lady Ho explained. I remember when some at the Home Office crassly interpreted the Brexit vote through the prism of racism and thought the hostile environment policy would be popular. Instead, Leavers and Remainers united in rejecting the cruel consequences meted out on the Windrush generation, still a top-down shameful scandal. So don't let's think this is racism. No, what's infuriating citizens about these channel um, uh, crossings is not numbers, it's not migrants, but it's because they're told by too many in power that there is no alternative. Over the last 20 months, the border force has looked helpless before a ceaseless flow of boats arriving on the shores of Kent, throwing up their hands with a series of what-can-we-do excuses. The Home Secretary talks tough and tougher, but the public can see no change. And this just seems like an abandonment of even the pretense of border control. And it makes a mockery of Brexit voters' very firm expression of popular sovereignty to take back control, if you can't even take control of your national borders. Baroness Fox there talking in the House of Lords. Claire, very good morning to you. Good morning. It really is an appalling um, situation, isn't it? And uh, seemingly, I think the thing that people are mostly upset about is that the government seems completely witless about what to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to make it very clear to the listeners, I haven't got a clue of the correct way that you deal with it. Mm. But I made the point yesterday that, first of all, nothing should be off the table. Mm. And secondly, I think we got a, a hint of where the problem might be when the head of the border force recently moaned about the problem of borders and said they were a kind of waste of time, yes. right? So, uh, I, you know, and I saw some of the demos yesterday, uh, uh, it, the demonstrations, 
you know, I don't know what a demonstration in support of people who've died tragically means, but anyway, mm. uh, th they were kind of saying something must be done. But the slogan said, borders kill. And then he realised that what really is going on here is there's an attack on the very notion of borders. Mm. And we all know borders are controversial. I mean, by the way, everyone wants to attack borders, but we manage to close them quick enough when there's even a hint of a variant of COVID from another country. And yeah. then it's close the borders, close the borders. But anyway, in this instance, I think the problem is, is that if you don't control your borders and if you're told effectively by everyone who shrugs their shoulders, well, it's, it's just a, we can't ever do anything about it. We'll never be able to stop this. So we might as well just say, welcome to the UK. Yeah. What, what you're effectively saying is that the nation state of the United Kingdom is finished. Because if we don't know who your citizens are, if you've got no control over who comes in and mm. out of a country, and there's no distinction between a citizen and a non-citizen, then British democracy is finished. Yeah, it really is. As is in any kind of national identification process and any kind of nationalistic uh, fervour, really. But of course... Plenty of people in the European Union would cheer that to the rafters. They'd be going, this is great, because what we want is to have no borders. What we want is to have a European super state. What we want is to be able to invite everybody in. Uh, and it doesn't matter where you come from, you can live here and enjoy the fruits of our labours, no matter what. And unfortunately, the world doesn't really work like that, because there are bad people who need to be kept out. There are other people who have got uh, bad intentions when they come, or because of desperation, they become uh, people with bad intentions. And, you know, if you can't secure the people that live in your country and you can't look after them, then you can't bring more people in to make their case worse as well. Yeah, exactly. But it's also the case that the way that you build a social cohesion and community um, is that you have a sense of the rights that come with being a citizen, but also the duties and responsibilities. Mm. So you sort of think, and by the way, this can, this is obviously includes migrants. I'm the daughter of migrants, right? So you, you, you come to a country and you say, I am now going to be a citizen of the country and I take responsibility for, you know, the health service, for the education service, for my fellow citizens. I accept the laws of this land. That's the way citizenship works. You don't have to have been natively born here, but you do accept that you're part of now a national community. Whereas if you actually say, oh, it doesn't matter, you, you don't have to do that. And the country itself doesn't even know who's in the country. Mm. It's, it goes beyond even national security. It goes beyond any sense of cohesion about what the nation is. Right. And of course, the point of a nation state is that, by the way, from a voter's point of view, is it's the geographical space in which we can hold our politicians right. to account. I mean, we can't, we can't vote for Macron. We can't kick Macron out. We can't do anything about the policies that are happening in Germany or whatever, but we are in control of, we're the people in charge of the political situation and the shape of the way things happen in the UK. Mm. So you want to feel that the, the people who live here are all in that endeavour together, even if we disagree on what the vote should go. No, exactly it, right. But the other thing as well, Claire, is that the European <laughs> Union has been ra rather, uh, shall we say, intrinsically involved in this whole situation. Yeah. The reason we've got so much immigration into the UK is because there's so much immigration into Europe. Now, you can make the argument that, you know, we caused it to some extent by our foreign policy uh, recklessness going into certain countries and wrecking them. But I would argue that, you know, that might have happened anyway. Um, but we definitely have a global sort of crisis where people who think that they want a better life and can get a better life by coming to Europe are just going to come. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a weird situation that we've got in terms of the EU, because actually the EU have got no respect for borders internally, as you've already explained. But they've actually had a very strict fortress border policy in terms of their migrant crisis. Mm. In fact, they are the ones who've done the, you know, they've done some of the most harsh uh, uh, policies in terms of externalising the crisis by basically outsourcing it to some of the more authoritarian regimes mm. in the world. I mean, they've kind of just said, we don't want anyone who's non-European to arrive into the EU, so you, we're going to stick you in camps in Turkey. And yeah. let me tell you, Erdogan's Turkey is nowhere good to be. But when actually people get round that border, because people often will do, and they arrive in the EU, then as you say, the whole issue has become completely politicised. Mm. I mean, you, you've seen that in relation to, I mean, and in some ways, um, uh, migrants have been instrumentalised in, in terms of a, a bartering tool on the different internal borders within the EU. Mm. So I, I agree with you that, that, that a lot of the problem has been caused by the EU. As I've, as I've indicated, it's not like, I don't know what I would do if I was trying to sort out the particular problem of how we deal with the, the, the migrant crisis here. But in relation to what's happening in France, for example, it, one of the things that obviously every single person who hears this who's not a kind of politico or involved in an NGO thinks is, oh, my God, if you're desperately fleeing war and famine and persecution, we want to, well, you know, be kind and generous, yeah? Well, that's but it. When, when people are coming from France... It doesn't feel quite the same because you immediately know that, well, you're already, you've arrived at a place of safe haven because you've arrived somewhere in the EU, which by and large is not full of tyrannical dictators apart from in, <laughs> well, apart from potentially in Brussels itself. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, apart, from, yeah, apart from the ones yeah. in the European Parliament, but, I well, you're, for yeah, 30 exactly. seconds. But you're, well, you're not fleeing for your life. And so consequently... It's made people, I think, very cynical about even what uh, yeah. what an asylum seeker is, hasn't yeah. it? Because you know you don't quite feel the same. And I know that there'll be people listening, and this was what happened yesterday. They'll say, "How can you have the? You know, how can you say things like this in relation to the fact that we've just had a tragedy?" Yeah. But one of the things that we can't let that tragedy do. I mean, I, I is chill the discussion on this. You know, we need to be able to have frank conversations. Yeah. Well, do you know what I found astonishing yesterday was listening to different outlets as I do when I'm coming in in the morning in the car. And some people were talking about the migrant crisis as if they'd never talked about it before. Because, you know, yeah. the chattering classes, the people who you and I regard as the kind of the stay-at-home brigade with the laptops and the, uh, and the nice gardens and the places in Putney, they're all going, my God, isn't this terrible? And you're going, we've been talking about this for two years. You know, yeah. Nigel Farage has to be given credit for lifting the lid yeah. on it in the first place, and he's never stopped doing it. And now, you know, we sort of picked up on that beginning part of this year, I suppose. But we've been talking about this, and I actually said less than a month ago, this is the single biggest issue currently in British politics, and if it's not solved, not only will it ruin this government, but it will ruin the country. Well, it's very interesting you say that, because um, actually... To, to, to also give credit, um, it was Kate ha ha Howie, yeah. who, who, Howie rather, who is obviously often on your show, yeah. Baroness Howie, who actually chabled the motion for the debate yesterday. Right. Now, remember, she had to do that weeks in advance, so mm. it had absolutely nothing to do with the tragedy. Mm. It was just, as it were, the timing yes. was the day after. But when she tabled that motion, a number of noble lords sidled up to her and basically told her that they thought it was very bad that she tabled the motion because it would be divisive. 
she was kind of tutted mm. at and and kind of almost leaned on not to do it. Yeah. And it was the first time that there'd been a parliamentary debate of two hours, or the first time for, in in the Lords since 2018. So um, Kate Hoey stood up in the House of Lords and actually credited Nigel Farage mm. for raising it in the first place. Can you imagine the atmosphere? Oi, when they would that? have hated that, they wouldn't would, they? That, he'll be in Hansard. But, but do you know what? Like Somebody it. said to me over the course of the last couple of days, I can't remember who, that the reason why, now I think it was John Rental actually, the reason why nobody was taking it seriously is because there is a genuine belief out there in the sort of establishment that Nigel Farage is a bit of a clown. And you know as well as I do, he's very far from that. You know, he's the single most influential politician this country has seen in many a decade. And the idea that the sort of middle classes and the chattering classes don't take him seriously or anything that he says seriously, well, they think he's just cooking up the idea that there's people arriving in boats, it's not really happening, he's just pretending, is ridiculous. And the main thing is, is that regardless of whether, you know, regardless of how you treat Nigel, he was raising an issue in this instance, which we have seen escalating. Yeah. You've rightly pointed out you've been talking about, but parliamentarians don't think it was appropriate to talk about it. And I think it's a disgrace. It's Mm. actually an insult to Mm. those people who drowned so tragically that the only way that you can get to talk about this in public life is when a tragedy happens. Mm. And then you're meant to talk about it only as though all migrants are victims, you are suffering, you are going to drown. And so, in other words, you're not really seriously having a debate about the the issue. You're only having a kind of... um, a kind of rather, there's something about it that's rather tasteless, mm. which is everybody standing up saying, I just want to say how tragic yeah. it is. And, 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 think- and actually, it sounds even more heartless when you do that, because all you're really doing is thinking, oh, I better say I'm sorry to see what's happened because it is tragic. But actually, they don't care about these people. They don't know them. They've never met them. They don't know where they're from. And it's all this kind of faux um, sorrow that people like to exhibit because they think they should. Yeah, it definitely rings hollow to yeah. me, or it ring. It, there's something rings false about it, and so I mean, even you know, um, you get to a situation where you feel that you have to say that. But what? But one of one of the things I w- I also wanted to say was I actually think that some of the people who have been campaigning for, as it were, open borders to allow in people and, and to assume that they're all asylum seekers. One of the things that happened yesterday was that Kehoe had mentioned that there's a security issue, that if you can't check people's papers, you don't know who they are, there's always the danger as well that some of them um, might be, for example, ISIS supporters. And she used the example of another country where when they had actually been able to check, some of them had been ISIS yeah. supporters. And this was then... Uh, misquoted by one of the other lords as Kate Hoey saying that every asylum seeker was a terrorist. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned that because it becomes a very bad faith discussion. This. Yeah. And also what it does is it treats every everybody in those boats as indistinguishable. They're all angels. We were all to assume that every single one of them has suffered. They're just like a blob that's mm. used politically, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Because there will be good people and bad people in of those course. votes. And right? it's ludicrous to try and choose either side. You know, the point is, is that one, and most importantly, we need to know who they are, where they've come from, and what their intentions are when they get here. And I don't think there's anything in that statement which is in any way controversial. But these no. people who say, as you do, um, that, 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 you know, some of them say, well, of course, they're all angels and they're all coming here to work. And, you know, we can't live without immigration in this country. That's what we do. I'm like, well, that's not relevant. What's relevant well, but- is who they yeah. are and what they're going to do. 
Yeah, but also, Mike, say, for example, the point on immigration, uh, because the only way that you can actually get into the country now is to claim asylum. Mm. You have to, as it were, you're forced, and this has been uh, to kind of show your scars, as it were, to say, I've suffered. You know, that's the narrative you have to fit in with. And that's what all those charities mm. campaign on. They say they've all fleeing persecution. Now, I'm absolutely certain that a lot of people come into this country on those boats or coming illegally or actually coming because they're economic migrants. Yeah. And I don't say that as an insult. No. I can completely understand that if you're poor and you think you can make a better way of life, I don't think they're all coming to be scroungers. That's mad. I think that what you think is, I, I could actually do really well for myself in the UK. And I can... I think that's an admirable aspiration. I can imagine that if I was poor in another country and I had a bit of dynamism, I'd try and get somewhere where I thought I could earn a decent standard of living for myself. I mean, I don't have to protect, you know, they might be young strapping lads, but they're young lads who want to make something of their lives. Say I I, I take that as a possibility. That's called economic immigration, right? And if we want that to be that we want to recruit more people to work here in the UK as economic migrants, we should have an open and honest discussion about increasing economic immigration, right? Yeah, absolutely. But the, but, but the campaigners won't have an open and honest thing. They don't argue to change the policy so we have freer um, uh, economic immigrants. They try and pretend that those very people, seems to be completely understandable, are all fleeing war and persecution oh. and will die unless we let them in. In other words, they use moral blackmail to try and use a democratic decision-making. And that's what I really object to. Yes, no, I think that's right. And it is this kind of, you know, ludicrous polarisation that we suffer. And, and you and I have talked about this many, many times in every kind of area of politics, you know, where, you know, if you don't believe what I believe, there's something wrong with you. You've obviously got some kind of moral vacuum at the heart of your black heart that you can't actually see the real way of, uh, forward. And it's really quite depressing that you can't even have these conversations without being accused of being one thing or another. Exactly. Um, well, I, I'm hoping anyway that that what there is a, a sense in which I think the governments are under a pressure, are under a bit of pressure. Yeah. But at the very least, and this is credit to those people and not me, but other people who really made this a big issue. I, I, I'm only tagging on the coattails of those. Um, that actually we can actually start opening up and and not demonising anyone who wants to raise concerns. I mean, I get a bit queasy when some people say on my Twitter timeline, yeah, we shouldn't let anyone in. They interpret, right. you know, controlling the borders as closing the borders. I get a bit queasy. I've even seen some people say things that are a bit racist, yeah. right? I, I'll concede that. But you know what? Such is political life. You know, you need to have those things yeah. openly discussed. I, I can then argue back, can't I? It's of not course. the most frightening thing in the world. Yeah, listen, and I get accused of it all the time as well. Oh, you're just a racist bigot, voted for Brexit, don't want any immigrants. Absolute rubbish. You know, yeah. London is yeah. a very, very multicultural city. And most of the people that I probably interact with are not from here. Whenever yeah. I'm go out and about, if yeah. I'm in a restaurant, if I'm in a bar, you know, if I'm on the tube, you know, most of the people that you, you see in London are certainly not like me, born and raised in London for a very long time ago. And, and immigration has always been a part of our national society, but not unchecked and uncharted immigration by the thousands where nobody knows what's going on. It simply just doesn't work and it's not sustainable. And I also think that, as I, I tried to say in the speech, you know, what really galls people isn't even the numbers. I mean, it's the fact that you're watching them arriving on the boats every day. Yeah. And politicians and the civil service have, until, you know, the last week or so, broadly said, uh, yeah, it's an intractable problem we can't solve. 
And yesterday in the Lord's uh, discussion, and this is constantly in the news, we have to get used to it. This is the modern world. It's going to be made worse by climate change, by the way, everyone keeps saying, because there'll be all these climate refugees. So we're basically told there is no alternative. Yeah. It's just part of the... And now, don't you remember that we were told, while well, we were in the EU, that one of the things that really got on people's nerves was, well, you have to put up with freedom of movement because that's the rules. There's no alternative. Right. And it was precisely that fatalism, that sense that ordinary voters were told, well, it doesn't matter what you believe, it'll never change. Exactly what people reacted against mm. and voted against. Right. And I think this migrant crisis has been treated very much as a, you stupid people who thought you could control national borders mm. Ha ha ha, you can't look. It's an inevitable stream of people coming in and there's nothing you can do about yeah. it. And I don't believe that. No. They 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 have managed to close borders left, right, and centre. They've done some of the most draconian policies. Well look what they're doing COVID. in Poland. Look what look what the EU are yeah. doing in Poland. They're looking literally over a barbed wire fence at the migrants coming in from Belarus who have come from the Middle East yeah. and they're saying to them, You're not the right kind of migrant. You can't come into yeah. the EU. So they can do it there. But look at the COVID stuff. Yeah. I mean, they've all around the world in relation to COVID, Brit, um, governments have been introducing completely draconian. I, I, I'm not asking them to introduce draconian powers in relation to migrants, but I'm saying the idea that we have governments who say we can't do anything, whereas they're prepared to lock people into their houses, deprive them of liberty, take away lords, uh, stop freedom of movement completely mm. of ordinary travellers because they've got COVID, would indicate to me that they went through and chose a range of policies which I, you and I probably disapproved of. In relation to migrants, you can't say, oh, all of these policies over here are off the table because we're frightened to be accused of breaching some international law or we're frightened of our reputation. If you can have all policies on the table while dealing with a virus, then you must be able to have all policies on the table when dealing with how you control your uh, national borders. Yeah, absolutely right. We could talk all day about this, Claire, so we'll have to carry on some other time because we're out of time. But thank you very much indeed. Very sensible conversation there with Baroness Claire Fox of Buckley, Director of the Academy of Ideas, somebody who knows uh, the value of immigration, but also knows the dangers of unchecked immigration. And that surely is the balance that we have to strike. And that's what we need to find a way through. The French, of course, have thrown their toys out of the pram, sacre bleu, and cancelled a meeting with Priti Patel because they're offended by a letter that Boris Johnson wrote. I mean, for heaven's sake. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 1st of December coming next Wednesday, which I'm quite looking forward to because when the 1st of December hits, you know you're suddenly in the season of giving, the season of, uh, you know, Christmas and all that. Nativity plays. Have you ever been to a nativity play at a school? If you're a parent, you will know exactly what I mean when I say I used to dread the nativity play. It's always very nice to go along and see one of your ch one of your children, you know, playing the angel Gabriel or playing Joseph or Mary or something like that. But it was always a nightmare because you'd always have these kind of bossy teachers going, please don't take any photographs during the performance as if it's some kind of, you know, superstar event at the Astoria Theatre, you know. Please don't take any pictures of other people's children because you might be a paedophile and you might be putting them up on the internet. No! I'm taking pictures of my own children. They happen to be in the company of other children that they're at school with. I'm not posting them on the internet. I'm not doing anything weird with them. I just want pictures of my, my son or possibly my daughter dressed as an angel. Is that all right with you? Well, it turns out that a load of nativity plays have been cancelled, right? Why? COVID. They can't perform nativity plays safely anymore because of 
COVID. So now, loads of schools apparently have decided that they're going to show individual nativity plays. They're going to video them in the classroom and send them to the parents so they can watch them without actually being there. Why? COVID. I mean, what is wrong with you people out there? Anyway, the schools minister's actually come out and said something quite interesting. Uh, he said, Robin Walker, I think it's he, uh, that schools should basically do nativity plays because, you know, if it can be done safely. Well, of course it can be done safely. More children than ever have been uh, infected with COVID and it hasn't killed any of them because they're not, generally speaking, very badly affected by it. So for heaven's sake, it is the season to be jolly. It is the season to be merry. It is the season to be religious, if you like, as well, and pretend you're a Christian for a little bit of the time and put an activity play on and enjoy it. Go and see it. Sit in the audience. Take as many pictures as you like. Can we not get back, please, to some form of normality? Not because of COVID, because, of course, now there's a new variant coming from Africa, which apparently is even more transmissible than the last variant that came from Africa uh, and the other one that came from India that we don't call the Indian variant anymore because it's not allowed because it might be a bit racist. It's not easy out there, you know. So anyway, here's the thing. Have your own nativity play in school. Urge your teachers to put one on and tell them you'll even give them some money to come along and watch it and see if they say that that's a good idea. And if they're reporting into you and saying because of COVID, they can't be putting it on because it's not safe. I don't know what to tell you. I think I'd take my kids out of a school like that and put them somewhere sensible, to be honest. Anyway, so happy Christmas. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, it is Black Friday, and that's why we've got to run, because we've got to talk to Claire Bailey, who's an independent retail expert, author of The Retail Champion. Claire, a happy Black Friday to you. Now, I'm not a big fan of Black Friday. I might as well put my cards on the table. Um, And I'm told that this year it's not quite as, shall we say, um, uh, there's not quite such enthusiasm for it as there used to be. I think from the consumer's point of view, there's still enthusiasm. But obviously the retailers across the board, large, small, online, physical, they've been through a terrible 18 months and they just don't have the capacity to offer anything like the deals and discounts they normally would. Mm. They're up against it with all the rising costs, fuel, natural gas, the, the issues with the supply chains. And then they're trying to give consumers the best possible deals when they just don't have deep enough pockets to cover it all. But at the end of the day, it is designed to, you know, it follows Thanksgiving, it's designed to kickstart the Christmas shopping period, get people in the mood. And also the deals were always there to really get people to think about buying product and yeah. giving gifts rather than holding back till the Boxing Day sales or just giving cash. Right. So in a way, it's sort of pulling forward some of the activity that would have happened traditionally in Boxing Day so that instead of everybody just giving around cash and gift vouchers at Christmas, you actually get something to unwrap. Yeah, right. So what's the big sort of um, item this, uh, this week then? What are people buying? Well, generally, it's driven by tech and it's become much more than just Christmas shopping. Of course, people wait for things like the tech and everything else and they hold back on spending in anticipation. And I think they look forward to it for themselves, for their home, for their friends and family and so on. So it's Mm. much more than just gifting. But any of the big ticket items like the large electricals, TVs, laptops, gadgets and devices, they're always good because they do come with very large discounts. And the reason often for that is that there's a new model coming to market 
market in right. the near future. And that stock is sitting somewhere in a warehouse in a supply chain. So hopefully won't be shortages. And it's a when it's gone, it's gone. So it lends itself really well to this kind of activity. Right. But I think we also have to remember that Black Friday is just one of the many sales and activities that retailers do throughout the year. And rather than getting hung up about, oh, Black Friday is a problem, it causes consumerism. Consumerism exists all year round and shoppers want deals. Well, there's nothing and wrong with it, we have always it? had deals. I mean, why, yeah, exactly. I mean so surely to God, you like it. I mean, surely to God, we've rid, it, we've rid ourselves in this country of people who kind of <laughs> sneer at you for wanting to buy stuff. I mean, what's wrong with wanting to buy stuff? Well, I mean, there are a lot of people who think that it creates over excessive consumerism and debt and so on. But I mean, I was looking at some stats as well. I saw that um, 65,000 small businesses during the pandemic went on to Amazon Marketplace mm. to sustain themselves. Businesses that had no e-commerce of their own, they had no means of selling online. And so we often hear people saying about online is taken away from the high street, boycott Black Friday because it's damaging high streets. This is so not true, mm. what you said about London. I was also in London last night and yeah. it was very, very busy. Yeah. And I've seen busyness in other cities in the UK. So people love going out and about mm. shopping and the deals are in the shops as much as they are online. And those shops that really needed an online channel during a pandemic when there was no other choice, used the likes of Amazon or eBay, Etsy and so on to sell through. And I also read that over half the products that will be sold during Black Friday, again, through the Amazon channel, will come from small businesses. Mm. So this disconnect saying it's damaging small businesses is completely the wrong uh, story right. when you actually look at the data. Yeah, well, quite. A lot of the small businesses that I know had to do different things because mm. they couldn't open. And an awful lot of the problems facing the high street, as you and I have spoken about, Claire, before, are more to do with the way councils run the high street and make it difficult for people to stop, make it hard for people to park, make it expensive to visit. All of those things are much more, I would say, uh, um, kind of you know, problematic for, yeah. for, for small shops in, in local high streets. Absolutely. And I think that certainly today and during the weekend and then Monday is going to be dubbed Cyber Monday as well. There will be lots of opportunities for consumers to bag a bargain, whether it be for themselves or for the home this Christmas and beyond. And they will be both online and in the physical stores. And certainly if people want to support their local independent businesses, they can do that online, too. Right. They only need to track down, you know, the local businesses who happen to use the marketplaces or use social selling and they get the best of both worlds. So I, I certainly would say for anyone who is campaigning against it, this is the last thing our retail high streets need. They need all the support they can get. So love it or hate it, just don't boycott it. Yeah, right. Meanwhile, those numpties from Extinction Rebellion, I'm told, are blocking 15 of Amazon's big warehouses. I refuse to call them fulfilment centres because I think that sounds even more ridiculous. But um, So presumably if you're ordering something on Amazon today, you might not get it. And this is also terribly sad and it affects, again, like I say, all sorts of different businesses. Really, it's the last thing the retail industry needs at the moment mm. is any more disruption. And I, it just it's just so very unfortunate. They're just really selfish people, aren't they? I mean, you know, they're, 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 I'm sure they all probably get deliveries from Amazon every single week of the year, these people. <laughs> uh, but they've decided that because uh, they can, they're just going to sort of disrupt everything for a while. And it's so pointless. It really is. I, I agree. And it's also, I mean, it's, it's, it's also wrong to single out any one business. At the end of the day, we're supporting an industry that's had such a difficult time for 18 months, employs literally millions of people across the UK and, and retail and hospitality collectively are one of the largest employment sectors in the country. So we, we need to really remember that those small shops, big shops, whoever they are, 
that they're, they're employing people in our community. They're providing meaningful work for thousands and thousands of people. And the last thing any business needs at the moment is more disruption. No, exactly right. Have you got your eye on anything today? Are you buying anything today? <laughs> um, I, I've already uh, managed to secure my son a whole new ski outfit. Again, oh, it's things nice. like that. Things that are seasonal products. Yeah. Fashion, I see, doing very well today as well. Lots of people looking forward to actually having a party season. So there's there's some great deals out there. And I think people should you know make the most of it. Why not? We've all had such a miserable time. Listen, I mean, if I could think of anything that I needed, I'd be more than happy to go. I'm actually currently waiting for a new phone, um, which keeps being promised to me like every day of this week so far since Tuesday. And I still haven't got it. So I'm getting a bit of an itchy sort of finger, itchy trigger fingers. Give them a go, tweet. Might have to go. Give them a bit of a tweet. I've also been ordered to go to Ikea later on, which is not going to fill me with great joy. But never mind. I've got to go and buy some candles or something ridiculous. But um, I shall see you soon. Thank you very much indeed. Claire uh, Bailey there talking uh, about Black Friday, which is today. It is a bit of a consumer fest. It is something that a lot of people can't be bothered with. But guess what? If you can't be bothered with it, that's okay. You don't have to be bothered with it. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to take part in it if you don't want to. But as for you numpties from Extinction Rebellion, just get off and get out of the way and let everybody get on with what they do. Uh, And that would be very nice. Thank you very much indeed. 
hospital doctors, I would say, these days are not in the BMA. I left the BMA a few years ago. Um, my son's a junior doctor. Most of his colleagues are not in the BMA. And I think what has put a lot of doctors off the BMA is that they get far too involved in politics rather than looking after their members. They're into, they got into the Brexit debate, they're into climate change, they're into all sorts of things that are nothing to do with medicine and healthcare, really. Yes. Um, and actually, when you look at it, it, it isn't actually a vote for any sort of strike action at all. It, it's just a, a survey of a limited number of their members to sort of gauge opinion. And the sort of things they were talking about was doing some of not doing some of the bureaucratic work that they're asked to do mm. and actually that might be quite a good thing and see a few more patients well it would be a good thing if the reality of the life that we are now seeing in gp surgeries was that they were seeing patients and i know that some are but an awful of them are still not an awful lot of them are still not seeing anyone it is gradually improving but it's too slow i think we've come up from about 45% face-to-face appointments yeah. up to about 65% face-to-face appointments. It was about 80%. So we're getting there slow but sure. There are some things that could be done to encourage that. Rather than just throwing money randomly at the NHS, some money, for instance, could be targeted so that a practice gets a small extra payment for each patient they saw face-to-face. Mm. If that happened, they'd pretty much all be face-to-face within a month. Um, Yeah, I mean, isn't that the way they do it in France, which I've always advocated for, where they get paid doctors by the number of patients they see rather than the number of patients they have on their books? France and, to a certain extent, Ireland, it's a similar situation to the NHS, but it's, it's not the same. What happens there, if you want to go off and see a doctor... You can usually see them the same day or the next day. And that's because you pay a certain number of euros to see the doctor. Mm. Um, It's a small charge. The patients that are on welfare payments, unemployment benefits, they will get that charge completely reimbursed. Mm. Other people insure against that charge. But what it means is that actually when you go to see the doctor you're paying a little bit towards that service and you appreciate that service. It means patients don't fail to turn up for an appointment, for instance, if you mm. paid a little bit towards it, even if it's just like five pounds. Right. But also it means that if the patient was paying a small amount to see the doctor, the patients wouldn't put up with a bad service and the service would soon change. The problem is, People have this idea that the NHS is free. Yeah. It's not free. It costs us a huge amount of money. Do you know what I worked out the other day, right? That I pay something like 20% of my income tax um, to the NHS. That's where it goes. So that's an awful lot of people's money. And when people say, oh, but we couldn't afford an insurance-based system because people would have to pay thousands for that. Well, people have to pay thousands for the NHS. And I'm like you. I always say to people, you might think it's free. It's not. But we're not talking about an insurance-based system um, like everybody joining Booper, for instance. 
we're talking about a social insurance system like they would have in France or Germany, where your contributions are put into that particular service. Of course, we have our so-called national insurance, but that isn't ring-fenced to go into hospitals or pensions. It just goes into one big pot. But there's a lot to be said for um, a small payment when you see the doctor even if a lot of people can get that reimbursed because it means people won't put up with poor service. And if it was easier then for patients to change from one surgery to another, every surgery and every doctor would have a very big incentive to give the best possible service. And that is part of the problem for me. There isn't really any sort of um, quality control. You know, you can have a great experience in NHS or you can have a terrible one, but you never really know until you go into it Uh, how it's going to be you don't it's very variable but the 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 government really the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing so if we look for instance again about the face-to-face appointments in general practice Mm. and that obviously needs to improve and i think it will improve but recently what was nhs england and i think he's now National uh, Security Advisory Service, something like that, name has changed. Um, They've put out an edict that for hospital appointments, they want a minimum of 25% of hospital appointments to be not face-to-face. Really? Yes. Well, how can you go to hospital and not see anyone? Well, because (laughs) some of those are done... Well, during COVID, some of them were done by telephone calls because certain things weren't allowed to be done face-to-face mm. um, but because of infection risks. But, but I've, I don't I I find all of these precautions to be laughable. I'm sorry about this, Tony, but the idea that somehow the health service is concerned about infection and people, conta- and people being contagious and people passing things on. I mean, what do they think happened before? Well, the, 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 the part of the NHS that's put out this edict hasn't really given any explanation of why they want 25% of hospital appointments not to be face-to-face. I mean, I think it's ridiculous. Every single one of my patients I see face-to-face. And basically what I say is that, I don't know, maybe I'm not clever enough to just diagnose things over the phone, but I can't. I need to see the patient. We all need to see the patient. If it's a prescription that's got to be rewritten, then that's a different thing. So not everything has to be face-to-face. But no. certainly if you're – I saw a patient this week that had had – it wasn't with her NHS GP. It was with a private video GP service. Right. And she'd been told on that just uh, um, video appointment that they thought she had cancer. This lady was in absolute tears when she came into my room. And within about five minutes, I was able to tell her that I was 99.99% sure she did not absolutely have cancer, not at all. And how you can tell someone that over a phone call, that's just ridiculous. It is. Um, And I can tell you stories that I've heard from just my time here sitting behind this microphone, Tony, with people saying I've been diagnosed with stage four cancer. The doctors told me that if I'd been able to come to him last year, there might have been something they could do. But basically now they've given me three months to live. I mean, there's a lot of those stories out there and it's pretty disgraceful, really. 
that there are a lot of those stories out there. Now, I think I think it's very unlikely that we will have any further lockdown. And I think part of the reason for that is that the government and the advisors absolutely know hmm. that the lockdown caused far more harm than any theoretical good that it might have done. Yeah. Now, I think I can see why they cannot admit that mm. because obviously they would be pilloried for having done it. And actually, right at the very beginning, the first lockdown, I don't think they probably had a choice. Mm. But it was only by about a month into it that you could see it wasn't necessary. Right. And then Boris was bounced into the second lockdown because data was released prematurely before yeah. it had been discussed even by the cabinet. Um, and I think it's very good that from the 19th of July, there's been lots and lots of pressure. We need to lock down. We need to have masks. We need to do this. And so and now far, we've got another variant. It hasn't, it hasn't happened. The variant, the variant is very interesting mm. because a variant always comes along just at the opportune moment for the people that are trying yeah. to do lockdowns and stuff. And in fact, I'm not sure if they're trying to just wind us all up. But they've actually called this one new, NU, the new variant. Yeah. And it's supposed to have some changes from the previous one. But and amazingly, and amazingly, amazingly, just like the previous one, it's more transmissible as well, apparently. But actually, that is a good thing because what happens with viruses as they mutate generally is they become more transmissible but they become less lethal. Mm. There was even talk in some of the papers the other day about a new variant that was very difficult to identify because it gave no symptoms. Mm. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, that sounds like case of the emperor's new clothes, doesn't it? it yeah, there's a new variant in town. You can't absolutely. see it, you can't smell yeah. it, you yeah. can't touch it, you don't know if you've got it. I mean, how do you even know it's there then? So all these variants are pumped <laughs> up initially and there's all these questions about does it transmit more yeah. almost certainly it will uh, does it evade the vaccines almost certainly it won't mm. there's always this discussion and then it all turns out actually it didn't change much and when you look at the variants the variants are less than one percent different than the original virus mm. so it'd be very odd for that to make any difference to people's immunity. That's a good perrier, that. We haven't had that one before. Um, but listen, Tony, um, as far as so as far as far the doctor's strike is concerned, you don't seem to think it's going to happen. We'll finish up on that. Thank you. For the GPs, sorry. Yeah, the GPs. Yeah, um, I, I think this whole thing has to be calmed down both from the government side and to a certain extent they have because they've said this business about um, announcing the salaries of GPs will not now come into the spring. Right. And, um, sorry about that. Uh, this is another one of these uh, non-face-to-face -face, uh, calls you're getting. 
<laughs> but I think it needs to be calmed down on both sides, and I think they can come to an agreement. Okay, very good. I'll let you go because I can see that you're being interrupted by a robotic voice from uh, the stratosphere. Dr. Tony Hinton, retired surgeon, of course, uh, telling us that he doesn't think there's going to be a strike by doctors. Well, let's hope not. But also, there's still a problem in the NHS, and they're never going to solve it as long as they have these ludicrous rules which say, oh, we can't see anyone in case you're ill. It's the NHS. The people that go to use it are generally ill. That's the whole point, isn't it? Isn't it? Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got lots going on in this hour. Esther Crack, who's going to be here, we'll be talking about the battle of the sexes because, of course, uh, toxic masculinity is a big thing. Uh, we're also going to be going live to the House of Commons very shortly uh, because Sajid Javid uh, is about to uh, address the nation. Let's see what he's got to say for himself. International Genomic Database. I want to reassure this House that there are no detected cases of this variant in the UK at this time. But this new variant is of huge international concern. The World Health Organization has called a special meeting this morning, and that meeting is taking place right now. I want to update the House on what we know so far, why we're concerned, and the action that we are taking. Although I must stress that this is a fast-moving situation, and there remains a high degree of uncertainty. The sequence of this variant, currently called B11529, was first uploaded by Hong Kong from a case of someone travelling from South Africa. The UK was the first country to identify the potential threat of this new variant and to alert international partners. Further cases have been identified in South Africa and in Botswana, and it is highly likely that it is now spread to other countries. Yesterday, the South African government held a press conference where they provided an update on what they know so far. I want to put on record my thanks to South Africa, not only for their rigorous scientific response, but the openness and transparency with which they have acted, much as we did here in the United Kingdom when we first detected what is now known as the Alpha variant. Madam Deputy Speaker, we are concerned that this new variant may pose substantial risk to public health. The variant has an unusually large number of mutations. Yesterday, the UK Health Security Agency classified B11529 as a new variant under investigation, and the Variant Technical Group has designated it as a variant under investigation with very high priority. It's the only variant with this designation, making it higher priority than beta. It shares many of the features of alpha, beta and delta variants. Early indications show this variant may be more transmissible than the delta variant, and current vaccines may be less effective against it. It may also impact the effectiveness of one of our major treatments, Ronoprev. Madam Deputy Speaker, we're also worried about the rise in cases in countries in southern Africa, 
especially as these populations should have significant natural immunity. In South Africa in particular, there has been exponential growth, with cases increasing fourfold over the last two weeks. In Gauteng province, which includes Johannesburg and Pretoria, some 80% of cases, when tested with a PCR test, have shown something that is known as the S-gene dropout, which we associate with this variant. So while we don't know yet definitively whether the exponential growth in South Africa is directly associated with this new variant, this PCR test analysis does indicate that there could be many more cases of this new variant than just those that have been sequenced so far. So, Madam Deputy Speaker, even as we continue to learn more about this new variant, one of the lessons of this pandemic has been that we must move quickly and at the earliest possible moment. The UK remains in a strong position. We've made tremendous gains as a result of the decisions that we took over the summer and the initial success of our booster programme. But we're heading into winter, and our booster programme is still ongoing, so we must act with caution. So we're taking the following steps. Yesterday, I announced that from midday today, we're placing six countries in Southern Africa on the travel red list. These countries are South Africa, Botswana, Lesotho, Eswatini, Namibia, and Zimbabwe. Anyone who is not a UK or Irish resident who has been in one of these countries in the last 10 days will be denied entry into England. UK and Irish residents arriving from these countries from 4am on Sunday will enter hotel quarantine. Anyone arriving before, then, before those dates should take PCR tests on day 2 and day 8, even if they are vaccinated and isolate at home along with the rest of their household. If you've arrived from any of these countries in the last 10 days, NHS Test and Trace will be contacting you and asking you to take PCR tests. But please, do not wait to be contacted. You should take PCR tests right away. We've been working closely with the devolved ministrations on this and they will be aligning their response. In recent hours, Israel has also taken similar precautions. Madam Deputy Speaker, I wish to stress that we're working quickly and we're working with a high degree of uncertainty. We are continuing to make assessments, including about those countries with strong travel links to South Africa. And we are working with our international partners including South Africa and the European Union, to ensure an aligned response. But this variant is a reminder for all of us that this pandemic is far from over. We must continue to act with caution and do all we can to keep this virus at bay, including, once you are eligible, getting your booster shot. We've already given over 16 million booster shots. The booster jab was already important before we knew about this variant, but now it could not be more important. So please, if you are eligible, get your booster shot, do not delay. Madam Deputy Speaker, we've made great progress against this virus, progress that we are determined to hold on to, 
this government will continue to do whatever is necessary to keep us safe, and we've all got our part to play. I commend this statement to the House. Alex Morris. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. Sajid Javid there talking about the new variants that apparently we shouldn't be too worried about because there aren't any cases of it, but we should be worried about because there might be some cases. I don't know. I'm not sure what to make of it all, but they've closed off certain parts of Africa, some of which I've never heard of. Luckily, Esther Cracker is here, uh, (laughs) who can uh, talk me through what's going on. I mean, basically, it's a huge international concern, he says, but we haven't got any cases here, and there's only a few cases in Africa where there's an awful lot of unvaccinated people. And apparently, haven't we heard that there was the, there always going to be new variants of this? Yeah. Particular, but what, okay, just just where's Eswatini? What what where? Well, I don't know. Going? I've never heard of it. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of all the other places, Lesotho. Yeah. Uh, Lesotho. Zimbabwe, South Africa, Namibia, and all these places. Yeah. Fine, Eswatini. It's a new one on me. Maybe I'll have to Google it. Yeah. To see what it says. But I mean, it's kind of predictable, this, isn't it? Because mm. here we are. I was out last night in London. It was absolutely rammed to the gunnels in a pub I was in, the restaurant yeah. I was in. The streets are full of people. People are sh- Christmas shopping. There's trees everywhere. You know, people, and there's nobody wearing a mask. People are not buying this anymore. Yeah. They're just going, well, we're back. Well, and you and can't we're take... going shopping. But the thing, I'm confused. What, what exactly are we supposed to do with this news? That's, well, that's, that's my confusion. That's a very good because, question. Because the only thing news like this is... Because we know that the, the mainstream media only reports what they want to report, really. Yes. That's why a lot of them conveniently forgot about the Liverpool bomber, right? But my question is, this this news is only designed to cause panic. I've just found out where Eswatini is. Where it's probably is it? known as Swaziland. Oh, Swaziland, okay. So I didn't know they'd renamed it. Oh, okay. Hard to keep up with this stuff. I know. I can't believe I didn't hear of that. There we go. So, apparently okay. it's um, got a population of 1.16 million. Hmm. So okay. quite a lot of people. All right, fair enough. And now they can't come here. So Well, I didn't think were, most of them were going to come here anyway. Probably not. <laughs> well, it's a very good question. What are we supposed to do with this? I mean, I can only assume that what Sajid Javid wants us to do with this information is to worry. Yeah, just to be, to be, be on alert. Yeah. And I just think he has no idea how human nature works. I don't think he understands how literally most people are over this. No. But I, I, I will say this. There are loads of people on the tube that still wear the mask. And I think... It's about half and half, isn't it? Yeah, it's about half and half. But I'm still surprised because yeah. a lot of, like, I see a lot of people wearing mm. it. And I'm literally, like, me or another person are the only people not wearing it. Right. I just think, do you really think it's illegal not to wear it? Yeah. I heard this morning that dreadful woman, Susan Mickey, you know, the <laughs> uh, the sage woman who's a former communist. I love how her her, her, her title is that dreadful, that woman, dreadful woman followed by her And she name. said something and because she's always popping up and saying, well, I'm not, of course, a medical doctor but then she starts issuing medical advice and yeah. then she said um and this is the first time i've heard this but get used to hearing it um well of course everybody knows that the best kind of mask to wear is mm. the medical mask so they'll probably start saying to people yes wear a mask but wait get one of those very expensive sort of surgical ones well, yeah. which protects you much more than just a, a, a face covering but she was going on about you know just keep the place even though she's not a medical doctor even though she's not a medical doctor she she preluded that by then going and then saying but it's a very good idea to keep wearing a face covering indoors and if you are having people around make sure you keep the windows open and make sure there's plenty of ventilation six degrees outside leave me alone yeah it's raining there's wind blowing there's a storm coming this weekend there's snow oh god and apparently I mean also nothing that we do as far as I can see stops the spread of COVID COVID, nothing You either and, get it or you don't get it. But the thing is, as well, and I keep harping on about this, I'm like the natural immunity ch- cheerleader. 
What happened to natural immunity? Well, Why are we like never to, speaking about this? Well, they don't like to talk about that. Sajid Javid was actually on with me when I was doing Breakfast with Julia, and I mm. asked him about natural immunity. I said, what about people who have actually had the disease mm. and are therefore no longer uh, in need of a vaccine because they've got antibodies? He said, well, we can't measure it. What do you mean we can't measure it? He's, what do you think science cla- is? Yeah, he claims that you can't tell how, how people have natural immunity because it depends on how they got it, how much of a viral load they had. And it's like, what are you talking about? I I despair for but the thing is but you know we say this but at least we're still relatively few in this country look at Germany look at Austria right look at Australia like I I, I say this and I'm I'm completely sort of beside myself of where the direction this country is going look Mm. at uh, Scotland Wales can't even go we're a lot better off than a lot of places but that's the scary thing because I don't think this will last like if Austria can say you have to have Mm. the vaccine like you have to inject a foreign substance in your body to be able to do life I, I cannot believe there's no more outrage about this than there is. Or maybe if there is, then I mean, I guess the difference between them and us is that in this country, most people have been vaccinated already. Mm. And the ones who haven't been are very much in a small minority and therefore not probably such a big deal for the, for I the government. I think there is some confusion about the vaccine, though. Because look at Ireland. Ireland is also a very highly vaccinated society. Yeah. But they're like, oh, the cases are still spreading. I'm like, but and correct me if I'm wrong, there's actually very little evidence that this virus is stopping people transmitting. This yeah. vaccine is stopping people transmitting well, the virus. It's quite the late. whole point of it was to reduce hospitalisation, yeah. which has done a pretty good jo- job of. Yeah. So if that is the case, why can't you just let us get on with our lives? Mm, I know. But this is what I mean. Walking around, and I can't speak for the rest of the country, but certainly in London, it seems as though most people have just said, that's it. it. Well, yeah. I'm going out shopping. I'm going, I'm going to Harrods to buy my Christmas stuff, whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm getting on a train. And... People who want to stay at home can still stay at home if they want even, to. Even the most staunch sort of COVID lunatics that I've met mm. have been like, oh, it was so nice just going to see my family again after so long. Right. And I just think to myself, okay, you've, you've followed the rules to a T. You really didn't see. But you just saying that just shows how much you've sacrificed. Mm. In I mean, I, maybe people don't realise it, yeah. but we've really sacrificed a lot in the last Well, a lot of months. people last Christmas, I know this for a fact, because they, they shut everything down. Do you remember about the 18th of December or something? Yeah. And a lot of people that were speaking to me here on this show were saying, well, I was going to go and see my mother and my father for Christmas, but I'm not doing it now. And we were going to have a party at New Year. We're not doing, doing it. it now. Lots of people spent Christmas on their own. I mean, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I, like, I wasn't even in the country, I'll be perfectly honest. Yeah. <laughs> Last Christmas I was not in the so country. So you managed really. to get away? Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> well, that's the joy of being able to go to another country where yeah. you don't have to show any papers, right? Yeah. Presumably. And the, the, uh, there was this joke online saying... Um, oh, but not COVID if you want to go to Swaziland, you're, in, you're out of luck. Well, thankfully, that's not really my, in my top... <laughs> 2000 destinations to go to but um there was this i saw this like really viral tweet about you know covid has basically disappeared in africa and i'm Mm. like well i know this may surprise you but we have actual real issues to deal with yes like malaria and other illnesses one of the reasons apparently why this new variant has popped up is that in the part of south africa where it's apparently Mm. been spotted it's in a place where people are quite unhealthy where quite a lot of people got hiv so there's immune issues going on already uh, and it may well be that that's how they've caught another variant but th- but it's almost like saying the sky is blue this is to be expected it's yeah. a virus and there are what eight billion people on the planet did you not think that it would mutate yeah it could have literally it could have popped up in tibet yeah it's not surprising and this is this is why i go back to what exactly does the government want us to do with this information mm. don't go to swaziland okay well fine you know fine. 
66 million people I know what exactly are you trying to achieve with this information and I suspect this may be a conspiracy I suspect they're trying to pivot on something else I think there's something bigger going on Mm. that they're using this as the main story well I've often wondered whether all of this is being driven somehow by insurance companies or something like that because you know like people who are being told that they might not need a vaccine passport to go to work but if they're going to some event or something they might be asked for one but vaccine passports don't even work right but this is the thing well of course not and the people I was having dinner with last night had just come back from Paris right Mm. where they said everyone was very friendly, which is very unusual for Paris. Yeah, Parisians. Very, completely <laughs> rude and just horrible to everyone. These people were American as well. Oh, and so, wow. um, but they said, you know, they went to one restaurant where they asked for vaccine passports. The next restaurant, nobody cared. Yeah. The next place they went to, they were too drunk to show the vaccine, vaccine passport, passport and they just went, don't worry about it. Uh-huh. So I think that's what's happening in yeah. lots of parts of the world where New York, for example, I'm told there's a lot of problems with getting into restaurants and getting yeah. into museums and all of that it's like because they're trying they, to destroy the economy because they've gone mad yeah and half the half my, my daughter's going there with a friend of hers just before christmas and she said all the restaurants that she used to go to have all shut down oh they're God. finished they're done yeah and london's not like that london is actually well, doing pretty well i mean I think. I think this is the thing we haven't really balanced interest here like a lot of the scientists that are projecting these horrific models also surprisingly don't have a very good understanding of how the economy works no and that's um, why you don't put the scientists in charge of the economy. Exactly. Right? You put the economists in charge of the economy. Yeah. But, you know, they're also led by bonehead politicians that are releasing news <laughs> that have literally that have no bearing on our lives right. as we lead it. Like, fuel prices actually give me heart palpitations at this point because they just keep going up. The, the cost of living is just rising mm. steadily to the point where everyone is noticing and yeah. is getting alarmed by it. And we're not talking about that. No. I mean, I put my, uh, petrol in my car, diesel actually in my car. Uh, because I hate the planet, obviously. And, um, uh, and it was about £15 more than the last time I put it yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going, hang on a minute, this is kind of you know increasing inflation by stealth. But anyone with common sense can put two and two together. You think it's costing you more to put money, to put fuel in your car. What do you think of the, the items that you buy from the supermarkets that are bussed to the supermarkets yeah. in massive trucks? Right. What do you think is going to happen there? Mm. I mean... it. Oh, I, I just can't believe it. Well, this I've is seen a I picture think... this morning of the van, mm. diesel van, which uh, delivered the Extinction Rebellion people to an Amazon warehouse where they're currently um, forming a picket line to stop them delivering anything. But oh, they okay. arrived in a diesel van. Oh, naturally. They didn't cycle or walk there? No. Okay. No, they came in a van. Anyway, Esther Cracker is here. Uh, we've just heard Sajid Javid telling us to be very concerned about something that we don't really understand somewhere a long way away. Okay, then. Um, but we're going to talk about something far more interesting coming up. The Battle of the Sexes. This is Talk Radio. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. Esther Cracker is here. We've been discussing the uh, new variant, which is apparently coming out of a place that we'd never heard of and uh, <laughs> has been renamed. It used to be called Swaziland, um, and it's now called something completely different, which I've already forgotten. Eswatini. Eswatini, yeah. So anyway, uh, we're going to talk about something more interesting now, because I'm not particularly concerned, even though Sanjin Javid says I should be, uh, by this variant from Africa. Um, but let's talk about the sex um, business and the war of the sexes because Nick Fletcher MP um, is somebody I hadn't heard of until today, but he made a rather interesting little speech. Let's have a listen. Everywhere, not at least within the cultural sphere, there seems to be a call from a tiny yet very vocal minority that every male character or good role model must have a female replacement. One only needs to look at the discussions surrounding who will play the next James Bond. And it's not just James Bond. In recent years, we have seen Doctor Who, Ghostbusters, Luke Skywalker, The Equaliser, all replaced by women. 
and men are left with the craze and Tommy Shelby. Is there any wonder we are seeing so many young men committing crime? See, these are the important uh, political issues of the day. We're talking about Doctor, <laughs> Doctor Who, Who, Ghostbusters, all becoming women. James Bond, yeah, J- Janet Bond, really, yeah, or Jane Bond, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not too worried about that, really, and I don't think that if you're a young male, you're looking if you're looking for role models. There's plenty of them around. You, you don't have to just say, "Oh, it's only Tommy Shelby or the Cray Twins," do you? Yeah, no, I, I think, yeah, I think. I, I, look, the whole feminization of these traditionally male heroes. Mm is annoying yeah. but that's it that's yes. the extent of it it's, it's just like go work we're broke I know these sort of franchises are going to go bust at some point because yeah. really if you stray that far from the essence of what you are you're really going to hurt your I mean base, the original kind audience. of the, the original Daniel Craig Bond yeah. was hopeless at the beginning because mm, he was true. he was supposed to be in touch with his feelings and he felt remorse about this, you, you see, know having thing, a one people... night stand with some woman and he was like oh my god what have yeah, I done yeah it feels awful I've people caused... like this don't understand women no. they really don't no and you have to follow what women do, not what they say. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know a lot of these, especially like what Benedict Cumberbatch was talking about. He was talking about toxic, toxic masculinity. Yeah. yeah, and we should all shut up and listen to women, apparently. I, I mean, just think, what does he think we do most of the time is we shut up and listen to women? Yeah, because if well, you don't listen, you get slapped around the ear. Well, 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 I do, anyway. You, you do, yeah. You, I just get nagged and eventually yeah. walk off. Right. Um, I just, I think he he's right in the sense that Yes, male kind of traditional, traditionally masculine heroes are being culled. That's yes, true. Right. But there, there are more of them to go around. You just have to search for them a bit more. Mm. There more niche spaces, and we've accepted that these sort of main mainstream major film houses are shifting to a war, to more, I suppose, feminine central. Yeah, um, but they're still paying the men more than the gender. women. Because I saw there was a story the other day, oh, yeah. and I can't remember what the, who, who the actress was, but she was in a film with Leonardo DiCaprio, mm. and he got five million dollars more than she did. And she was asked about it. And she's actually, I don't mind. You know, Leonardo's box office. Yeah. You know, he sells the movie. Yeah. Of course, he should get more money than me. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was an un- unusual. Jennifer Lawrence, thank you. It was a very unusual uh, uh, and sensible response. I was quite surprised. Yeah. yeah. I know. I'm like, wow, is, is there balance in Hollywood? It's Are like, why does brains? Ronaldo get paid more than I do? Well, well, because he can make a lot of money for Manchester United. But this know. is this is the reason. Please don't mention that club because they're currently giving me hot pop. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Sorry if you're just, a fan, just, by the way. Oh, my God. Anyway, but... The, the, uh, this is the thing I don't I like or appreciate or even want to hear about equal pay in entertainment because in entertainment your pay is based on what you bring in right. that is views yeah. bums on seats right. audience fans I mean Piers Morgan's coming to work here he's getting a lot more money than I am yeah you exactly know, I'm not particularly happy Morgan. about it but you know <laughs> I'm trying to do my best to get some of a small p- smidgen of what he's getting okay um but I can understand why that's the case. Because... Yeah, but this is this is the point, and it doesn't just it doesn't just go as far as just traditional entertainment like right. film and media. It also goes into sport. Yeah. it's all commanded right. by fake views, fans. How many bums shirts you going to sell? Exactly. Yeah, and that that should be the only metric. And I thank God at least mm. one person in Hollywood finally gets it. Yeah, and guess what? You can shout as much as you want. You're not going to change the institution. How about you sort out the nonsense in Hollywood as yeah. opposed to just complaining about the fact that you got two million dollars less right. than someone else mm. and you're just uncomfortably sitting on your 15 also, million just stop whining dollars. exactly you know um i mean you're getting paid pretty well as well well yeah there's that but the thing is it's like if if what if your argument doesn't make sense in terms of the mechanisms to which you're getting paid mm. then just don't make the argument no. if you're not bringing in as much star value 
you, you, you will not be paid the same. Also, it's nobody's going to be feeling sorry for Jennifer Lawrence anytime soon. Well, because yeah, exactly. she's probably got quite a few million More quid money in the bank. More money than God, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the thing is, my father and I used to talk about this quite a lot because he was a very traditional man. Mm. Um, and I know oh, there's, there's some of them left. Yeah, well, yeah. Good Lord. I mean, and your father sounds like the same kind <laughs> yeah, of guy, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, who believes in certain things being, um, you know, non-negotiable, if you mm. like. And he used to say to me that the problem with some women is that they want to make men less heroic because men yeah, have this kind horrible. of men have this kind of uh, need to be heroic and you know, to we conquer, need to yeah. we need to conquer things we need to save people we need to help you right and if you can't allow us to do that then we kind of don't have a purpose but only certain women do and i think it's certain women that have bought into it's certain women that buy into it until it's too late yeah right i think most women that are in tune with the world really know that they don't want a guy that's going to be like oh babe do you want this? like you know always asking like prince harry for example oh my god can you imagine it literally what he's Hello. become I, can i do something for you darling yeah you know, or just like that, that picture of him like cowing behind his oh, wife yeah. on, on the car. Standing behind her and she's like with her hands on the hips. And you just wouldn't think he's 6'2". And I just think, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah. But he has been the most emasculated, I think, of any man that in, I remember in I had a phrase history. for him, which I can't repeat. No, I know exactly. I think you may have said it to me uh, on another occasion. But yeah, <laughs> he is he is just now a laughing stock, though. I mean, yeah. all men, apart from the kind of men that he is, he has now become. Mm. Because there are lots of men like him out there on the social media front, mostly beard-wearing types. Yeah, which um, is very odd. Is that like the new... Cyclists. Like... You know, it's the new kind of, you know, I'm masculine because I've got facial, facial hair, hair, except for everything else about you is feminine. Yeah. Because you're absolutely... And I most... wax everywhere. You know, um, <laughs> did, you, did you hear about the uh, Harry Megxit misogyny sort of... Yes. Th- yes. I just thought... Where he said Megxit was actually a mis- misogynistic term. How? I, I just thought, how how deluded can you possibly yeah. be? And do you really think people care that much mm. to I... actually... Like, who who do you think put in that much thought and just thought, let me think of the most misogynistic th- term I can right. use to coin Mar- Me- uh, Meghan and Harry marry? It was Mary, a, it was a typical <laughs> sort of tabloid newspaper headline because, yeah. it, first of all, it reminds you of Brexit. Brexit, exactly. It reminds you of somebody leaving somewhere. And, it's and her fitting. name starts with an M. That's it. That's it's as simple as that. Uh, but yeah, this I, I really get uncom- not uncomfortable. I'm, I'm quite bored of the whole ma- toxic masculinity thing yeah. just because I've been asking for the last five years, what is toxic femininity? And that, that just doesn't happen. Well, there's a lot of that. Yeah, but we don't talk about... I don't even know what it is. I got into a spat with some female comedian the other night who was banging on about, you know, the Stella Creasy <laughs> business where she takes a baby everywhere. Uh-huh. And everywhere oh, she turns yeah. up, she's got this baby and yeah. she's making out that she has to take the baby with her because she has no other choice. Yeah. Despite the fact that she could take six months off. There is a crash have, in the House yeah, of Commons. And also she could take six months off with full pay. Exactly. Uh, unlike most women who don't get those kind of perks, right? Anyway, so I just said that this woman was talking rubbish, basically. Mm. I used a different word, but, you know. And uh, she accused me of being misogynist because I was disagreeing with her. And I'm like, it's not misogynistic to disagree with you just because you're a woman. Yeah. Right? But you you know, the thing is... Somebody else was calling for me to be fired on the grounds that I was promoting violence. I'm pretty sure that happens daily, It does, yeah. Usually from from people actually in the building. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I don't even want to hear about that. No. But... This is the thing. In places where there's actual misogyny, right? In places where like violence against yeah. women is really, is really high. In places where women are not being educated just by virtue of being women, right? These these feminists on this side of the on of the of the world really infuriate me, because this is an opportunity to talk about real issues that are affecting women in parts of the world where they don't have a voice. Right. I mean, can you imagine what it's like being a woman in Afghanistan yeah, right now? Yeah. Exactly. But, and then but, these women who are here yeah. are going, well, oh, but it's terrible down the King's Road, and you go, really. Is it? It's, it's, you disagree with me, Mike, is so it? you're a misogynist. Yeah. And I just thought, if I, he was a real misogynist, you wouldn't even be anywhere near this building. I know. Unbelievable. Anyway, listen, we're out of time. 
This has been a very enjoyable. This, this, this flew by really quickly. You'll have to come back soon. I will. Um, unless you're travelling, of course, to... What's the name of that place? I didn't... I didn't I'm not going to dignify that with a response. Okay, then. That's <laughs> uh, the crack who, uh, Thank you very much indeed. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.